0: Hello CKTZ listeners and welcome to this week's edition of Listening In. My name is Maria and I'm your guest host this week. Today I will be reading Soap and Water and Common Sense, The Definitive Guide to Viruses, Bacteria, Parasites, and Disease by Dr. Bonnie Henry. There was actually two editions of this book published, one in 2009 and one in 2020 with updates including an introduction by Dr. Bonnie Henry's sister, Lynn Henry. So I will be reading the updated edition and here is the introduction introduction to the new edition. As I stared at this strangely beautiful abstraction, its meaning slowly came into focus. This was the track of the awful disease itself, and these colors were the stages of its relentless progress within the web of people it had infected. Today, in mid-March 2020, I sit in the sun, spring still proceeds, the cherry trees still blossom, and we are dependent upon the few who can effectively articulate and traverse that space for us, with us, and hopefully one small step ahead of us. Now, ten years after the publication of the first edition of Soap and Water and Common Sense, Dr. Bonnie Henry has emerged as one of the most influential, calm, and compassionate voices trapping the perceptious dizzying curve of the COVID-19 pandemic in, at the time of this writing, almost daily press conferences. I stole a few minutes from her nearly impossible schedule to ask her two questions for this updated edition of the book. Lynn Henry Bonnie In my lifetime and yours, we have lived through AIDS, SARS, Ebola, and H1N1, to name but a few infectious diseases that have affected large populations. Yet today, we seem to be dealing with something that has no precedent in living memory, at least where pandemics are concerned. Do you think the COVID-19 pandemic is different? And if so, why and how? Dr. Bonnie Henry. Well, As you know, I've been studying the transmission of disease nationally and internationally for decades. I've sat on many, many public health committees in Canada and worldwide and attended countless conferences and gatherings. I've participated in studying the modeling of infectious disease and in drafting numerous response plans for outbreaks. But I will be completely honest, I just never, ever, ever thought I would have to do what I am doing right now declaring a state of emergency to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic in my home province of British Columbia. Why is this different? Is it really different? Well, yes and no. COVID-19 is not dissimilar to AIDS and Ebola in terms of the fear it generates, although I would suggest that the sense of fear for one's personal physical health around both those diseases was perhaps greater, especially among those who contracted either of them and in their early stages. AIDS was, for a time, equivalent to a death sentence, and of course, that fact generated other terrible and destructive fears beyond the physical. The same was, and is true, in a somewhat different fashion with Ebola. But the difference between those two diseases and COVID-19 has to do with the means of transmission. This new coronavirus spreads through droplets in the air, which makes it a far greater unknown and instills in us a sense that we have no individual control over whether or not we come in contact with it. We cannot see its pathway with the naked eye, and the behavioral controls we can exercise involve not just us, but our entire communities, as we are seeing in the lockdown of countries and the practice of so-called social distancing. To know that we can get sick simply by the basic necessary act of breathing itself, something that is true with COVID-19, but not with AIDS and Ebola, means that, of course, we are fearful. When we look at SARS and influenza, we see that in one way COVID-19 is not so different. These diseases too can spread through droplets in the air, but COVID-19 has that perfect storm of qualities. It is far more infectious than SARS, and it is more lethal than influenza. Add to this the fact that we have never been before more physically connected than we are now, with far greater global community interaction, and we arrive at the very moment we are living through. Lynn Henry. It has been 10 years since the original publication of Soap and Water and Common Sense. We know that there have been advances in certain diseases since 2009, so of course some of the information has changed a bit, and that there have been setbacks in some areas and with some diseases, too. An alarming rise in TB in some places, for example, but is there anything you would change or add to the basic advice and public health tenets you cover in this book? I ask this being mindful, especially of our current moment when people worldwide are isolating to try to flatten the curve of the new pandemic. Dr. Bonnie Henry. Perhaps it seems a little odd to say, but William Osler's words from more than a century ago remain true and are, if anything, more relevant than ever. Soap and water and common sense are the best disinfectants. I would perhaps expand or amend the basic rules just a little to say clean your hands, whether with soap and water or with alcohol-based hand rubs. Cover your mouth when you cough, preferably not with your hand. Avoid touching your face, especially your mouth, nose, and eyes. Stay at home and away from others when you are sick. And during this time of community disease transmission, rigorously practice social distancing, staying at least two meters away from other people. I would also add one further life enhancing daily practice something that we can all do and that will undoubtedly save us in troubling times let us all show kindness and awareness and compassion lynn henry and dr bonnie henry march 2020 microbes inc one good bugs bad bugs the doctor quickly scanned the chart as she opened the door to the examining room it was a busy day and the patient had been squeezed into her schedule the new mom with the crying infant on her lap looked harried and tired. The baby had developed a fever overnight, was clearly irritable, and looked unwell. His mother had tried some medication to relieve the fever but was certain the child had developed another ear infection and needed antibiotics. Feeling the pressure of the crowded waiting room and knowing she was already at least half an hour behind schedule, the doctor hesitated. Her instincts told her the baby had probably caught a virus and the symptoms would resolve on their own in a day or two. But the child's mother was insistent. She could not take another sleepless night of worry. This dilemma is faced every day by doctors around the world. With our overburdened healthcare systems, taking the time to reassure patients and explain why antibiotics won't work is difficult for many health professionals to do. It is far easier and takes less precious time to succumb to the demand for antibiotics. These powerful medications have been available for only a few decades and they have earned a reputation as miracle drugs by saving people from infections that used to kill. But the fact that they are effective only against bacteria, not viruses, has been lost in all the excitement. We now know that the overuse and misuse of these miracle drugs are having long-term effects on our precious medical defenses and are putting our healthcare at risk. If only people knew the difference. Microbes Incorporated. Thousands of people get sick from diseases caused by microorganisms that we inadvertently pick up from contaminated surfaces, ingest in our food, or inhale from the air. Countless hours of misery are caused by bugs called viruses, bacteria, fungi, and parasites, yet much of this suffering is preventable. Welcome to the awe-inspiring world of Microbes Inc., a global corporation that has dominated our planet for 3 billion years. As in any global conglomerate, there are several divisions in the world of bugs, or microbes, and while they can all cause illness, some can be beneficial too. Let's take a tour through the halls of Microbes, Inc. and explore the different divisions. Viruses. The first group of bugs is the smallest and often the most lethal, the viruses. Viruses are small packets of genetic material that have evolved over billions of years to infect humans, animals, and even plants. No living organism can escape from the destructive touch of viruses. Viruses need to use another organism's cell in order to replicate and survive. They reproduce by inserting themselves into the cells of the body where they hijack the programming mechanism that the cells use to replicate, making thousands and thousands of copies of themselves instead. The replicated virus then burst out into the bloodstream, killing the initial infected cell and sending the legions of copies to find and infect more cells. Viruses can cause illness by destroying human cells in a matter of hours or days, and they have been the cause of some of the most frightening and deadly diseases we know. And because viruses are made up of such small pieces of genetic material, they can change or mutate rapidly and have perfected this skill to evade our best efforts at containing them. Human genetic material, or genes, consists of two strands of deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA, the fascinating double helix that was first discovered by Nobel Prize-winning scientists James Watson and Francis Crick. This discovery revolutionized our understanding of how human genes replicate and how they determine everything from our hair and eye color to whether we will develop diseases like cancer or Parkinson's. DNA is formed when two strands of ribonucleic acid, RNA, match in two specific ways. Each strand of RNA is composed of basic building blocks called bases, which are strung together in very specific patterns. There are four types of bases adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine. Pairs of bases form a pattern that determines how the gene will be expressed in the person, so whether you will have blue eyes or brown eyes depends on how the RNA strands match up. If just one base is out of place or replaced, it can lead to very different outcomes. It turns out that bugs have the same type of genetic material as humans, with the exception of a whole family of viruses, the RNA viruses, which only have a single strand of genetic material or RNA. So, while humans and DNA viruses have a double-checking mechanism for every time they replicate, the RNA viruses lack this biological trait. This means that the RNA viruses can reproduce much more quickly and are much more likely to introduce coding errors, like a base out of place, while they are replicating. We call this phenomenon mutation. Some mutations can affect the virus's ability to infect cells. These viruses die out very quickly because they can no longer replicate their genetic material. But every now and then, a mutation will come along that allows the virus to increase its rates of infection of new cells or hosts to work around any defenses we have developed, such as vaccines or antibodies. These mutations can open up whole new worlds to the virus's destructive power. About 5,000 viruses are known and have been characterized, but there are probably a hundred times more that we have not yet encountered. Let's look at a few viruses that have caused some of the most frightening illnesses known to humankind. Smallpox. Throughout history, the diseases caused by viruses have disrupted nations and destroyed everything, from livestock to food supplies to entire communities. In the world of Microbes, Inc., the senior VP of the virus department would have to be smallpox. Until the disease was eradicated in 1979, smallpox caused untold suffering for at least a thousand years in communities around the world. The smallpox virus invaded the cells of the skin, causing large painful blisters that burst open spewing highly contagious fluids and leaving the sufferer scarred for life. Tombs of ancient Egyptian kings are engraved with images of people marked by smallpox scars. The disease is also known to have decimated native populations across North America. One of our greatest medical achievements has been the removal of this scourge from the planet. SARS, the 2003 SARS severe acute respiratory syndrome outbreak, is a perfect example of the havoc a virus can wreak around the globe. This ambitious upstart probably emerged from the untimely mixing of two or more rather tame viruses in wild animals, leading to mutations that enabled the new virus to infect humans. Scientists worldwide scrambled to track the origins of this deadly new bug, which spread suddenly and rapidly between people, causing severe influenza-like symptoms that could quickly lead to death. The bug was first detected in southern Guangdong province in China in November 2002, but because the Chinese government for several months had denied any outbreak of disease, this new and dangerous bug was given a timely head start. It managed to reach Hong Kong in February 2003, hitchhiking in the lungs of a doctor from Guangzhou, the province's capital, and within days had started its destructive journey to countries around the world. Over the next six months, SARS spread from Hong Kong to Singapore to Vietnam to Taiwan to Beijing and Toronto. This fascinating journey was carefully pieced together by epidemiologists, the microbe hunters of the medical world, who determined that the origins of the virus was in the wet market of the Guangdong province. There, a harmless coronavirus that caused mild sickness in some animals, but not humans, somehow managed to acquire a new piece of genetic material that allowed it to greatly expand its infecting universe. Testings of animals in the area where the SARS virus first emerged indicates that the bug probably got its start in wild civet cats that were raised in cages in the local wet markets and later served at restaurants. From the markets of Guangzhou, the virus spread to Hong Kong, and, with the help of travelers, it continued to spread to cities around the world. The SARS story is truly a reflection of our modern mobile society. Ebola Ebola, another relatively new hire at Microbes Inc., is a virus that invades the blood, organs, and even layers of the skin, causing its victim to bleed everywhere, from the lining of their eyes to their intestines. The virus was named after the Ebola River in Zaire, now Democratic Republic of the Congo, where it first drew international attention in 1976 for decimating the village of Yambuku, affecting 400 villagers and Belgian missionaries. The Ebola virus was still very much an enigma in 1995 when another massive outbreak invaded Kikwit, Zaire, the people of Zaire had withstood decades of corruption and greed under the ruthless dictatorship of Mobutu Sisi Seko, who had exploited the nation's vast min- mineral wealth and left the country with severe food shortages and a complete lack of infrastructure, a health system in tatters, and the highest child morality rates in the world. In this tragic setting where people were used to seeing the young die of disease, starvation, or military assault, the gruesome nature of Ebola left even those who had seen so much suffering and despair. Ebola is a virus that preys on active compassion, infecting those who nurse the sick or care for the bodies of the dead. The bug spread easily between patients and the few healthcare workers in the rudimentary hospital, where basic infection control measures such as handwashing were not in effect. The Kikwit outbreak was contained through the heroic effects of the international medical community particularly experts from the World Health Organization, WHO, and Médecine Sans Frontières, who worked with the traumatized local community. But it was not gone for long. Despite intensive efforts to understand the workings of this devastating disease, the world was still unprepared when the next major outbreak hit the town of Gulu, Uganda in 1999-2000. We still do not know where the virus lay dormant between these outbreaks, but many scientists suspect that local bats may have played a role. In addition, there is no effective treatment for the disease, although a vaccine is in development, and no effective early warning systems to detect the active virus and prevent its spread in high-risk areas. Like many of the top performers of Microbes Inc., Ebola has shown an uncanny ability to find the areas of the world most affected by poverty, war, starvation, and disease to exploit an already vulnerable population barely clinging to life. Influenza Influenza, another senior manager in microbes, Inc., is a bug that has been credited as being the number one killer of human populations. Circling the globe annually, this virus preys on the young and the elderly, leading to thousands of deaths worldwide every year. Because this virus has only one strand of nuclear material, RNA, it can change rapidly and take on new bits of genetic material as quickly as it can. Every year, the influenza virus changes just enough so that the human immune system no longer recognizes it and a new immunization must be developed to combat the new form of flu. But, the virus can also change in a major way at short notice leading to major pandemics or worldwide outbreaks of disease. In the past century and a half, a major global outbreak of influenza has occurred about every 40 years. A pandemic is a disease that circles the world, affecting people in many countries. This is in contrast to an epidemic or an outbreak, which are the terms used for diseases that cause illness in smaller areas. There have been three influenza pandemics in the past century, but the Spanish flu of 1918-19 still stands out as the most devastating pandemic in world history. In the past decade, the emergence in Southeast Asia and China of the new variants of avian or bird influenza viruses has captured the attention of the world medical community. It has even led to the World Health Organization's urgent pleading for countries around the globe to plan for the next influenza pandemic. All this for a virus strain that has proven lethal to chickens but has yet to pass successfully between people. The unfortunate few who have contracted the disease have died at a much higher rate than those infected by the more common influenza strains that we have seen in the past 40 years. In addition, the avian flu virus has made victims of the young and robust, those whose immune systems are usually not as vulnerable to infection. It may be only a matter of time before this adaptable bug manages to find a way to transmit efficiently between people through an innocent cough or sneeze and spread around the world. While the world was watching Southeast Asia and the avian influenza bug, another virus quietly emerged in Mexico City in mid-April 2009. Hospital staff began reporting severe pneumonia in many young people, some of whom who were rapidly dying. Samples went to the National Microbiology Laboratory in Canada, and within days a new influenza virus had been identified as the cause. H1N1 influenza. A virus had emerged again, but this time, the bug had acquired new pieces of genetic material from swine in Europe and North America and mixed them with some human flu genes. By the time the bug was recognized, the virus had already adapted to the human system and was passing easily between people through coughing and sneezing. Within a week, hundreds of people in the United States and Canada and throughout Mexico had contracted this new form of influenza and sporadic cases were showing up in Europe and South America. The WHO raised its pandemic alert level from 3 to 5, the second highest ranking on the scale used to indicate how close we are to a full-blown global pandemic. Outside of Mexico, the cases seem to be mild, more in keeping with seasonal influenza, but countries around the world stepped up their monitoring systems and continue to watch this bug closely. If we have learned one thing about the influenza virus, it is just how unpredictable this bug can be. HIV. Another relative newcomer to microbe zinc that has had a spectacular long-term impact on the world's health is the human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. This RNA virus likely emerged in Africa sometime in the early 1980s, though scientists have since discovered the virus in human blood samples dating from at least three decades earlier. HIV invades the cells of the human immune system, where it hides out patiently, sometimes for many years before becoming active. The virus then attacks the cell in the human body that defend against infections, leaving the patient vulnerable to severe illnesses that those with healthy immune systems are able to fight off. AIDS, or acquired immune deficiency syndrome, is the medical term used to describe the stage of illness when HIV has compromised the immune system and these infections start to take hold. AIDS-defining illnesses include severe progressive tuberculosis pneumonia, and a rare form of cancer called Kaposi's sarcoma. It can take many years before HIV leads to AIDS because of the discovery of medications that suppress the virus. But there is still no cure for HIV, and once AIDS manifests its effects on the body, it will lead to certain death. While HIV has undoubtedly devastated many families and communities, it has also been a major force in bringing together governments and health organizations to reevaluate infection prevention and control measures. The disease has also spawned a whole specialization in medicine that deals with only the complexities of the virus. Beyond the medical system, HIV-AIDS has affected the economy, demographics, and social structure of families, communities, and entire countries, particularly in Africa, which has been disproportionately affected by this malignant bug. These are just a few of the many bugs that make up the virus division of Microbes, Inc. Many more viruses will appear in the following chapters, but for now, let's take the stairs down to the next floor and have a look at the group of bugs that is not all that bad. In fact, we probably couldn't live without them. Bacteria. The next floor up in the headquarters of Microbes Inc. contains the bugs in the bacteria division. Whereas viruses are made up of small packets of genetic material, bacteria are single-celled organisms shaped like rods, spears, and spirals that have the capacity to reproduce indefinitely and independently, provided they have sufficient nutrients and a suitable environment, such as the human body. Some even have the capacity to change into a spore or a seed-like form, building a protective wall that is highly resistant to destruction. These bacterial spores, which are produced by bugs such as anthrax and clostridium, can survive for decades even in the harshest environments. When conditions improve, they re-emerge, becoming active and causing disease. A classic example is the large outbreak of anthrax in cattle in Saskatchewan, Canada in 2006, after record rainfall and flooding provided an ideal environment for the spores to emerge. Anthrax hadn't caused disease in that part of the prairies for close to 50 years, but the spores had waited patiently in the soil until the conditions were just right. The bacteria then spread to the vulnerable cattle, crippling the Saskatchewan beef industry. Bacteria, like humans, have DNA. Unlike viruses, bacteria are not dependent on the genetic apparatus of other cells to reproduce, and they can acquire new DNA in several ways. The first and most common way bacteria exchange bits of DNA is through merging, or micro-sex. Bacteria can reproduce at an astounding rate, producing millions of generations in a matter of hours. Compare this to the human reproduction process, which takes somewhere around 15 years to produce a generation. In addition, the new bacteria may pick up a piece of DNA that allows them to resist antibiotics so the bug can live longer, survival of the fittest at micro level and in many cases become stronger. Bacteria can also acquire new DNA by swallowing up or ingesting bits of genetic material from the DNA of dead bacteria in their environment. This form of reproduction is completely foreign to humans or any other multicellular organism and gives the bacteria an incredible survival advantage. This ability to ingest the DNA of dead bacteria explains why a patient unfortunate enough to be infected with two bacteria at the same time can suddenly develop resistance to antibiotics. The third way bacteria acquire new genetic matter hints the complex interactions between the divisions of microbe zinc. Viruses have the ability to infect bacteria by inserting a little piece of their own genetic material into the bacterial DNA. This process can lead to the evolution of the infected bacteria. But the virus can also take a chunk of the bacterium's DNA when it leaves the cell and transpose this genetic material to other bacteria, spreading the word, as it were, even farther. In terms of sheer numbers, bacteria are the most successful organisms on the planet, and they have adapted to live in every environment imaginable. These bugs can live and thrive in everything from pools of sulfur to complete oxygen free air to the boiling water of deep sea volcanoes and everything in between. Bacteria are also one of our biggest natural energy sources since they can process just about every type of substance in existence. Some species have even developed the ability to feed on and thereby break down plastics. Bacteria are a natural part of the human condition. We live in a soup of bacteria, both in and on our bodies and in our environment. Some estimates suggest that we have more than 100,000 individual bacteria per square centimeter on our skin. But unlike viruses, not all bacteria are bad bugs. We depend on bacteria for many things, from helping us digest milk to the production of yogurt, cheese, and other foods like fermented cabbage, sauerkraut, and kimchi, and soy sauce. In addition, these good bugs, our normal flora, as we affectionately call these bacteria in the medical world, help us to achieve a balance within our human systems, and they are tolerated by our immune systems without making us sick. Bad bugs, or infectious bacteria on the other hand, replicate beyond the well-being of their host, causing illness and sometimes death. This can happen for a variety of reasons. For example, the bacteria on our skin may pick up a piece of DNA that allows them to resist antibiotics. This often happens in a hospital setting, where a patient who has been on antibiotics for a long time can pass on to other people a bacterial strain that has evolved to resist those medications. The antibiotic resistant bacteria can be passed along by the contaminated hands of the healthcare workers or from innocently touching a washroom door in a hospital shared by four patients. Either way, these new antibiotic resistant bacteria have developed an evolutionary advantage, defying our usual antibiotic treatment and making the infection much more difficult to deal with. This process has led to the development of the so-called superbug. How do we get sick? Microbes have designed many evolutionary strategies to spread to new hosts. They can be inhaled into our lungs, ingested in food and water, exchanged through infected body fluids, or absorbed through our skin by direct contact or touch, and finally, they can be spread through insect and animal bites. It is this innate will to survive that has allowed them to maintain their reign as the dominant species on the planet. A common way for bugs to spread between humans is through the air. These particular bugs infect a host's respiratory syndrome, forcing the person to cough or sneeze, thus dispelling a moist cloud of microbe mist into the environment that others can easily and unknowingly breathe in. These stealthy bugs can cause some of the world's most deadly diseases and are the reason why covering your mouth when you cough or sneeze is essential to sparing others from infectious disease. Although, disease can also be transmitted through other means, such as direct contact or touch. Skin-to-skin contact can spread illness when, for example, an infected postule on one person touches a small tear in another person's skin. Now, unfortunately, this is all the time we have left for today, but if you would like to learn more about all these fascinating subjects, be sure to give Soap and Water and Common Sense by Dr. Bonnie Henry a read. Thanks for tuning in.